Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Today, um, we are so, so, so excited to welcome Shaylin Jackson and Joe Gerstant to the show. Um, I am going to read um, their bios really quickly, um, but then definitely allow them to more properly introduce themselves. Um, and we're just going to have some really great conversation around relationship building and mentorship and just let the conversation flow organically from there. So let me introduce Shaylin. Um, in addition to be a, being a, you know, amazing friend to me, Shaylin Jackson serves as the city of Oklahoma City's first chief inclusion and diversity officer and as the founder and principal consultant of um, an IND firm, Shaylin Jackson Consulting. So additionally, she is the diversity chair for the Oklahoma Human Resources State Council and a qualified administrator for the Intercultural Development Inventory, IDI, across cultural assessment of intercultural competence. And then we also have Joe. Joe Gerstant is a leader helping organizations understand diversity and inclusion. As a keynote speaker and consultant, Joe works with Fortune 500 companies, small nonprofits, and everything in between. Seamlessly interweaving art and science, Joe uses stories and research to illustrate how next generation cultures can flourish both inside and outside the workplace. So let's all welcome um, Joe and Shaylin to our show um, or to the podcast today. And again, I would like to just now open it up um, to Shaylin and Joe. Let, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself. It doesn't matter who starts. Um, and definitely, um, if you would also include in that your DEIY. I like to always ask that. I think it's um, always awesome to hear that perspective as well. Oh, Joe. I think you should go first, Shay. I knew, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so a little bit more about me. One, I am going to apologize in advance for a cough. Um, I'm getting over done, 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 you know, you name it. Um, and so apologize for that, but I would not miss this for the world. Two of my favorite people, um, are joining me today. Um, my DNIY, so there's a lot to that. I feel like, uh, I always say my life prepared me for this work, um, incarcerated father most of my life, uh, raised by a single mom, maternal grandparents stepped in, um, alopecia, uh, so no hair, not typical, right? Um, especially for a bald black woman growing up was really, really tough. Um, first generation college grad, you name it. Um, and so I feel like the cards, quote unquote, were stacked against me if you looked at what society said. Um, but I was surrounded by amazing people like Joe, and you'll see I make him turn red all the time, y'all. But I really do have many great people in my life um, that really helped me. And so not only mentorship being really important to me and sponsorship, um, but DNI in itself, just being able to create spaces where everyone can show up. Because I remember the day, the Friday, when I decided I'm not playing small anymore. And there's been moments um, where I started to play small again and people like Joe had to pull me out. Um, but my DNIY is I remember how that felt and I want everyone to feel that way um, because I know that they can be productive from there and um, just what it does for an individual organizations in our world altogether. That. 
always Joe. a hard act to follow. <laughs> yeah. I know. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks, Courtney. It's always uh, a pleasure for me to be a part of this conversation, especially today with uh, a dear friend on it. Um, so yeah, I, my name is Joe Gerstan. I do diversity and inclusion work. I've been doing this work um, as an external consultant for about 14 years now, uh, almost 15 years now. And um, I think uh, to some extent, my answer is kind of the same and kind of different than Shay. My life also, I think, prepared me to do this work. I uh, am a person that benefits from a great deal of privilege. And I went a number of years in my life without realizing that. And thinking that the playing field was level. Um, and somewhere along the line, I learned that that wasn't the case. Um, I learned that I do benefit from uh, some unearned advantage. And uh, since coming to understand that, I felt some obligation to be a part of this work, uh, to, to change that. And so um, uh, I try to help other folks come to see that and understand that as well. That's amazing, Joe. I love that. Um, and I think it is um, so important and, and actually really kind of leads me into um, my first question, um, which is, you know, directed towards you, Joe. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to know Shaylin and how your relationship with Shaylin has evolved to where it is today um, and, and being that that support system and that mentor to her that she's needed as she navigates the space? Yeah, so I've been uh, traveling to Oklahoma for on and off for probably 10 years now uh, to do work. I've spent quite a bit of time in Tulsa, quite a bit of time in Oklahoma City. One of those visits led me to be engaged by a company called One Oak, um, and Shea was part of their diversity and inclusion team, and I had the opportunity to do a handful of things with them over the years. But we, be, we were professional colleagues, and pretty quickly and easily and naturally, that uh, relationship evolved into a friendship. I I honestly think of Shay first as a friend and second as a professional colleague today. I've had the chance to hang out with her and her husband, and um, we've done other things besides uh, diversity and inclusion work today. So, <clears throat> um, and, and I would also say that um, I don't think it's fair to say that I'm Shay's mentor. I think it's very much a two-way relationship. I think mm -hmm. um, I've tried to support her and encourage her, but she's also done the same thing to me. So I, I think it's a very much a two-way thing. Yes, and actually, you know, um, I tell Shay all the time, I'm like, hey, I sometimes feel like our friendship can be a little one-sided because I'm always coming to her for advice and, you know, things of that nature because she's just such a wealth of knowledge and she's always so willing to help. So Shay, I'd be yes. curious to hear, you know, <laughs> would you like to add anything to that relationship story or um, what kind of is, you know, your perceived um, um, experience and how you and Joe's relationship has, has come to be? Need everyone's called to know that both Courtney and Joe are very humble. Um, and so they're not giving themselves enough credit for who they've been in my life. Um, and also, I don't have anything to add on how we met, but I just want y'all to know I'm really not a crybaby, but I tend to cry around Joe and Courtney. So I'm just putting that out there right now, um, just because both relationships, but especially when you talk about mentorship, um, has just meant so much to me. And I know that we'll get into it a little later, so I won't, I won't skip around, but uh, I'll just say that, you know, goodness, more people need people like Joe that just allows you to show up and be and not require you to be anybody else. Um, I don't have to be anybody else around him, whether it's in a professional setting or a personal setting, um, I can just show up and be Shay um, and he sees me. And so that's what more people need in the workplace and just in their lives. Um, especially nowadays. So many of us feel so unseen, even though with social media, we feel that we see everything. 
um, so many people don't feel seen. So the only thing I would add to his story is that he saw me and he never stopped seeing me. That, I love that. And, um, you know, one thing I think is um, a superpower of yours, Shailen, is that you are willing to ask, you know, um, make that ask of individuals. And um, do you have any advice or ways that you um, approach those situations? Because I know that it can be, even in my experience, um, a little daunting to ask someone, you know, to mentor me or to show up for me in that way. Um, and you have a, a very strong, I would say, community of mentors and um, those who support you. It, it, do you have any um, advice you could share on how you go about approaching those conversations and, and maintaining those relationships as well? I think it's kind of a loaded question. Um, it's a good question, but it's loaded because every relationship is different. And I think that I know that early on for me, um, I tried to like be calculated with each relationship and treat them the same. Um, but I had to learn that it's okay and that not everyone's expecting the same things from you either. So for example, I hadn't talked to Joe for a few months. We watch each other's stories. We keep in touch. We like each other's stuff on Facebook. But I hadn't talked to him for a few months, but I knew I could just reach out and say, hey, you want to do this talk with me? And he wouldn't feel like you have not talked to me in a few months and you're going to come and ask me and do da, 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 da. There are people that you need to water those relationships before you make an ask, right? And so um, take it for what that is. It's just, it's just fact. And so I know that we can always be that for each other. I know Joe can reach out to me and I can reach out to him. Um, and so hopefully that was helpful. It's really just, I used to kind of approach each conversation like, okay, is this a mentor that I want in my life? Um, but I also had to realize like, Courtney, we mentor each other. I look at you, especially in the space of motherhood. And I mean, I just had an instance yesterday where my first instance was to call Courtney because I know she's dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with right now. And so hopefully that helps. It's just, I, I realized I couldn't expect the same thing from every relationship and that I had permission to show up differently for every relationship. And that really protected a lot of my energy as well. Joe, I don't know if you have anything to add or... Uh, no, I, I think uh, you said it pretty well. I think each relationship is a little bit different, for sure. Um, and, you know, I think um, I'd like to take the opportunity just to pivot just a little bit um, and, and kind of just now explore psychological safety, right? And so, um, Joe, can you share a little bit about, you know, what does psychological safety mean to you um, and why it's so important in the workplace and uh, for DEI practitioners specifically. Yeah, I think uh, psychological safety is one of those issues that's uh, kind of blowing up a little bit right now. It's uh, becoming a little bit more well-known, a little bit more mainstream. I, um, I, I keep it pretty simple. To me, psychological safety on the team level is basically what you're talking about is trust. When, when you're together with the team of people that you work with, are, do you feel safe taking some risks? Do you feel safe being vulnerable? And, uh, you know, some of the riskiest things that we do together at work are probably disagree with each other, um, especially disagree with someone that has a bigger title than you, share bad news, ask for help, um, talk about our personal experiences. Those are probably the riskiest things uh, that we, some of the riskiest things that we do together at work. And so when you're together with a team of people that you work closely with, do you feel safe sharing those things? Um, because if you don't, 
the team doesn't benefit from that information, those experiences, those perspectives. And, you know, going back to, to what Shay said, you're not being whole at work. You're not being seen at work. You're truncating your identity to make the people around you feel more comfortable. I think psychological safety is important for a bunch of different reasons, uh, but I think it's I think it's kind of foundational to the idea of, of being fully included. Um, it doesn't really matter that much how different we are, how different our perspectives or identities or experiences are, if we can't share them, if we can't tell the truth to each other. You know, you and I, you and I have joined the same organization. Can I tell you the truth and can you hear me? Can I tell you the truth about who I am? Can I tell you the truth about my perspective on the work that you and I have to do? Can I tell you the truth about my experience in this building and can you hear those things? I, I think. I think that's foundational and fundamental. Um, so I, I think it's pretty critical to the work that we do, and it's and it's important for other reasons as well. But I think it's kind of foundational to the idea of of being fully included and being seen at work. And and I just want to add, when it comes to DNI practitioners themselves, exactly what Joe said as well. Like, I'll be the first to say that even as a DNI practitioner, we need space to not be all together right like the world is happening to us as well um and we're feeling what a lot of people feel plus taking on other people's emotions and that's what we sign up for and that's what we love to do but we need that as well um and joe is one of my people for that um and so i think it's really important for anyone on this call who's interested in the space you may be new to this space or you may have been in the space for a really long time but you don't you might not know why you're feeling really like fatigued, professionally fatigued, or just, I don't know, just in a bad space. A lot of times it's, you need not only to practice self-care, but you need, in my case, a Joe, like you need someone to call and to just be like, can I have a moment? Um, it helps a lot. Yeah. I think that's, uh, especially critical for internal practitioners. Um, because I think internal DNI practitioners, people like Shay and some of the other folks on this call, uh, I think they carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. They are still to this day under-resourced and under-supported in their organizations. Uh, they're oftentimes misunderstood in their organizations and they kind of walk around feeling like they have to be perfect because they don't want to jeopardize any of their work. And I think it's, I think it can be lonely and exhausting. So I think it's especially important for internal practitioners to have someone, to have a community or a network or a family of people that they can show up and just let their hair down, to cry on someone's shoulders, to, you know, talk some trash about some of the people that they work with. They've just got to vent. They've got to have some place to get that stuff out, to be able to be completely honest, because I think, I think they oftentimes are walking on pins and needles inside the organization because they don't want to jeopardize the support and the resources that they do have at the time. I think too, sorry, this is that dance I was telling you about. Um, one that <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> cry over sushi with, like there was a moment where it, we were at a sushi restaurant and I just broke down crying. <laughs> um, but it meant so much because even to what Joe was saying, we also give each other permission to like know when it's time to pivot. Um, I love that Joe is one of the people in my life that like, even as practitioners, you don't have to stay in something that isn't good for you. Um, and he also encourages me and other people around him to bet on yourself. Um, a lot of times we'll stay in situations for whatever reason it may be, like, you know, whether it's the money, you know, some people have to stay in some situation for the money or, or feel they have to stay for the money or 
I don't know. There's a list of all these reasons. And, and Joe is one that can really help me put in perspective, like what's important, what are my values, what matters to me, um, and bet on yourself. You're worthy. You're worth it. Um, and I needed to hear that at the time that he shared it, the many times, the multiple times that he shared it and will continue to do so. I love that. And, you know, um, I want to go back to one of the things that Joe, you had mentioned in regards to psychological safety. One of our core values here is constructive candor and being able to um, have those open and honest conversations in a way that you feel heard um, and um, also feel seen, you know? And so I think having that in an organization is key and it's something that um, has been a new experience for me and one that I, I really, really value. So I appreciate that insight there. And um, I do want to remind the audience, please um, throw any questions that you may have or may be holding in the chat. We're happy to engage throughout um, this conversation with Joe and Shaylin um, and, and hear from you at any time. Um, and then kind of just piggybacking off of the conversation that we just had, um, you know, psychological safety is key, right? But in both your opinions, what role does self-care play? Um, and how do you recommend in individuals prioritizing that? You know, you both talked about having a space where you can let down your hair, you know, vent maybe, um, be open and honest, but what as um, practitioners or just individuals that are working in this space um, in any capacity um, or any space in, in, in general, um, can they do from a self-care standpoint to really help um, carry the weight that we're all kind of experiencing? Let's hear from Mr. Cancun on that one, self-care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. um, and, and I shouldn't have used the phrase, uh, let your hair down, because she, neither Shay nor I have any hair to let down, actually. <laughs> okay. uh, let, let your guard down is maybe a, a better phrase for us. I, I think self-care is critically important for, especially, again, especially the internal practitioners, because I think they oftentimes carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. And in a lot of the internal practitioners I know sometimes feel guilty about uh, investing in self-care. I think it's incredibly important. So many DNI practitioners I know get burnout. They get exhausted. They're trying to do everything for everyone else and they're not taking care of themselves. I think especially in the past couple of years um, with the, the amount of energy and attention uh, that has come into this body of work. I think so many practitioners have gotten burnt out. So I think, I think self-care is in, uh, in, incredibly important. Just as foundational as psychological safety is to the idea of inclusion, I think self-care is to this body of work. I think we really have to support each other towards prioritizing it. And I think it looks a lot of different ways. Um, it looks like having that network, that community, those people that are on your side, that have your back, that you can vent to, I think it looks like continuing to invest in yourself and educate yourself. I think it looks like taking time off. Um, I think it looks like taking care of your health and your spirit and your finances and your family. Um, I think DNI, for the most part, DNI practitioners come to this work because they're called to this work. They believe in it. It touches their heart and it touches their spirit and it touches their soul. And so they, they give themselves fully. And um, while that's admirable, I think it leads to a lot of burnout. I think we really have to do a, a better job in this body of work of having some balance and some self-care in our lives. 
I love that. And I, I joke calling him Mr. Cancun really because I admire, I've seen Joe be more intentional about his own self-care over the last few years. Um, and I think that that's amazing. Like even as a DNI practitioner, what I've even had to do better at, and I'm very grateful for my current organization because it's just the nature of the organization. Um, but it's okay to disconnect. Um, I used to always be connected, always, <laughs> like in some kind of way, whether I'm working in the middle of the night, checking my emails all the time. Um, and to me, that has been one of the biggest forms of self-care. I know that a lot of times people say like, go get massages and things like that. And even though when I started this call, I was talking about Spa Castle, it's really rare for me to go do something like that um, for myself. And I will say, I do know that it's also currently where I'm at in life. I have two little ones. Um, and so that look, self-care is just gonna look different. Not that I don't prioritize it, it just looks different for me. Um, but yeah, everything that Joe said, I just have to say like, we have to prioritize it because if we don't, other people aren't going to. No one's going to look at us and say, you know what? I think you should stop answering emails. They're going to keep sending those emails. <laughs> so we just have to say it'll be Monday, you know, or, or whatever that is. Yes, yes. I love that. And, you know, similarly, I have had a very interesting week um, and um, being able to take being able to look at that and say, okay, you know what? I do need support. Um, and that was very hard for me. It was very hard for me to do that. And I came into this role from corporate, um, very corporate jobs that had very, you know, strenuous um, expectations and processes. Um, so, you know, being able to allow myself to be vulnerable and say, hey, you know, guys, I'm, I'm not doing this well right now um, was amazing. And the support that I received as a, as a, as a result of being honest in that capacity. Um, so we do have a question from, and please correct me if I, if I say your name incorrectly, Kobina. Um, and so I'm happy to read it aloud, or if you want to unmute yourself um, and ask the question aloud, just let me know how you prefer. Sir, sure. good morning, everybody. It's Kwabana. Don't worry Kwabana. about it. Okay, thank you. So my question is, as you are all just talking about psychological safety, uh, though, where, wherever the case may be, but um, when you think about psychologically, psychologically safe spaces and people who have larger, higher titles, can you talk about the responsibility of those who have the title to create and foster that space and then also maybe share some tactics that they can do and those who have the lower titles, how can, you know, those people who don't have the political capital to help create those psychologically safe spaces? Great question. I'm, I'll let you guys decide who wants I'll to. Let it go. You're doing it, Joe. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, great question. And I think, I think it's largely on the people with the power to uh, be intentional and deliberate about creating psychological safety. I think it's largely their responsibility. There's things that we can do on the individual level to contribute to that, but it's largely about the container. And so the person with the most power kind of shapes that container. And I think there's, there's some fairly simple and tactical things that you can do to create um, more psychological safety. I think um, examples of that are being very clear in advance about how decisions are gonna be made and how people are expected to participate. Um, 
being very clear and proving that it's safe to disagree with each other. Um, I think as I'll, I'll put it this bluntly, if you're a leader, if you're the person with the most power in the room, until you reward people for disagreeing with you, they're probably never going to tell you the full truth. There's just too many real or perceived risks. And so you've got to prove consistently as the person with power that it's safe to tell the truth, even if the truth is unpopular or inconvenient. Um, a long, long time ago, I was in the Marine Corps and we talked a lot about the difference between headquarters truth and ground truth. You've got generals at headquarters making decisions for Marines on the ground. Unfortunately, what happens over and over again is these two groups of people are operating on different information, different realities. There's a whole bunch of information from down here that never makes it up here. Some of the information that gets filtered out fastest, bad news. Why do people stop sharing bad news? Because of the way in which they think it's going to be received. Um, and bad news isn't fun or convenient. It's incredibly valuable information. And I would say in most organizations, there are leaders that have lost access to really valuable information because of the way in which people think it's gonna be received. And so formally and informally, how you respond to people, how you respond to people disagreeing with you, how you respond to bad news, those types of things is incredibly important. I know a lot of teams uh, put together ground rules or agreements for how they're having meetings, for how they make decisions, for how they deal with disagreement to make that stuff more explicit and more intentional and a little bit safer. So, um, you know, there's, you can do some of those things on the individual level too, but I think it's largely on the person with the most power to uh, create that, that trusting and safe container. And um, I would also make the point that um, I think that psychological safety is different than uh, sometimes we hear people talking about safe spaces. Um, safe spaces, which can also be important for the right kind of situation. Safe spaces are about preventing people, uh, protecting people from injury or harm. Psychological safety isn't necessarily that. Um, in fact, the more honest you are with each other, probably the more discomfort you're going to have. The more truth you tell to each other as different human beings, probably the more discomfort you're going to have. So it, it is a different thing than creating a safe space for some types of conversations. We probably need to have safe spaces, but I think uh, more often than not, what we need in the workplace are psychological safe conversations. Thanks for your question, though. What Joe just said, too, around um, bad news not getting to the top, that's also why it's really important that the DNI person, I say reports directly to the CEO or the city manager or whatever your structure is, but if nothing else, has at least a dotted line. I've been in too many organizations where DNI is pressed down too much, and so it has to be filtered by individuals, especially those that aren't skilled in this work. So they make it really pretty by the time it gets to the leader. One thing that I'm very grateful about in my current organization is before I even got here, they wanted to place my role under the CHRO and the CHRO said, no, she needs to report directly to the city manager, which is equivalent to reporting straight to the CEO. So now I don't have anyone that I have to convince we need to tell the, C the city manager the truth to. I can just tell him the truth. This is what's happening. And he is the type of leader that he's okay being uncomfortable because he'd rather hear it and be uncomfortable and fix it than to act like it doesn't exist. And that's what we need as well to create psychologically safe spaces for leaders to understand, don't take this personal or take it very personal. Whatever the case, it needs to get fixed. But a lot of times they hear the news and they're like, no, 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 because that would mean I'm a bad leader. A bad leader is not fixing the problem. That's what a bad leader is. 
Love that. And thank you so much for your question. We do have one other question right now from Linroy. Would you like to unmute and ask your question? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good to see you again on the two panelists. Um, my question is for Shailen. Um, can you share a few items when that you should have like on your checklist um, as we look at um, entering a position, for example, in your role, city government, um, such as a 30, 60, 90 day transition plan, things that you should do within that first hundred days. Yeah. So it's going to sound like um, I'm cheating, but honestly, it's not much different than going into, you know, when I went from one to Walmart or Walmart to Dollar General, you really just really need to learn the culture. Um, is city government different in the sense of, you know, I have, I support the police department, I support the fire department, I support but it's like supporting operations versus supporting IT in an organization. I just have to really connect with those leaders and learn the culture. Now, what can feel different is obviously we have the community aspect um, and I do understand that. What we have decided to do is to focus internally first because if we take care of our people, our people will take better care of our people, meaning our residents. And so we know we can't just skip over taking, over, taking care of our employees before and jumping right into the community. Um, and so with our focus on, the, on our, our employees right now, a lot of it is very similar, to be honest with you. It's just about I, my 30, 60, 90, when I first got in here was meeting with people. I met with so many people and did so many meet and greets to see like, you know, how has your experience been? What do you need from me as a DNI practitioner? Um, so I know hopefully that was helpful, but a lot of it is, is it's the same. What I have found in this space is because of the, you don't get into the government because of the money, right? You get into it because you care about people. The core of our work is servant, servantship, like they serve people. And so it's been way less political, believe it or not, in this role than any of my previous roles because they just want to do better by people. <clears throat> Thank you so much for that question. We do have one more. Um, and it is from Rachel. Rachel, do you want to unmute and ask? Yes. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my question is about reverse mentoring. Um, because it seems as if the two of you kind of have a reverse mentoring relationship. But um, what is your take on reverse mentoring, especially when it comes to people within different generations, intergenerational mentoring? And how does a junior person initiate that within an organization where, where they don't necessarily look to um, the more junior people uh, for, you know, ideas or counsel or anything? So those are my questions, reverse mentoring. Want me to go, Joe, or you go first? You call. You. <laughs> okay. That's what I get for that. Thanks, Rachel, uh, for the question. I, I I love reverse mentoring. I think there's a huge opportunity. I think one of the biggest opportunities is across generations. Um, I think people that are more senior and have been in the workplace longer have valuable things to share. I also think the world is changing so incredibly rapidly that folks that are newer to the workplace and to the workforce have really valuable perspectives uh, to share as well. And, I, and I, I don't know that it's mainstream yet, but I'm starting to see more of 
and I don't even know if I would call it reverse mentoring, but two-way mentoring. I think both parties have something to learn. Uh, the second part of your question is a lot more difficult to answer. If you're the junior person, how do you implement that or find that? Um, I don't know that I have a good question, I think, or excuse me, a good answer. I think partially it's about finding the right person. Um, I think the right person, uh, the senior person in the workplace, I think they would be open to that idea. And I think this kind of connects back to what Shay was talking about, the difference between good leaders and bad leaders. I think if you find the right person, they would be open to learning from uh, that person that's a little bit more junior and newer to the workplace. Um, so I don't know, I guess do a lot of networking, try to develop relationships, try to develop relationships with people from different parts of the organization, different levels of the organization, and maybe find someone that's open to that if, if the organization doesn't have some type of formal program already in place. Thank you. Everything you want to add? I agree with Joe, it's relational. Um, a lot of times we look at mentorship as formal, this formal thing we have to do. Junior person, invite them to coffee, you know, because a lot of times leaders want to connect with people, but they will feel like they're showing favoritism. If they're the ones that initiate it. Mm. A lot of times, I mean, leaders are open to it, but they just can't be the one to say, hey, Rachel, you want to go to lunch? Because then everyone else is like, why did you pick Rachel? But if Rachel reaches out, Rachel asked and I was available, you know, yep, um, yep. and then it doesn't have to be a title to it. Um, just exchange knowledge. Right. Thank and you. I want to add to that real quickly. Uh, Shay said some of the magic words and invite someone to coffee. I, I think whether, uh, whether oh, you're approaching a, a mentor. You. Oops. Did I just talk over someone? No, I think. No. Oh, I, I was just going to add, I think networking, relentlessly networking is incredibly important. And sometimes people that you reach out to, especially if they're senior people, might not respond, might not be interested, but keep networking, invite people to coffee, spend time with people. Uh, as Shay said, even if it doesn't develop into some kind of formal relationship, there's going to be some exchange. There. And I think that's incredibly valuable. I think a lot of folks that are newer to the workplace or to the workforce, um, maybe don't think that's their role to, to make those invitations. I would reach out constantly. I would have breakfasts with people and coffees with people. I think there's a lot of a lot of things that will develop because of that. Relationships, informal relationships. There is so much information and so many ideas and so many opportunities that move through those informal relationships are incredibly important. I have heard from a mentor before that I really appreciate too, because she was like, she was a SVP at an organization. And she said, people typically look at me and think that. I am the right mentor for them because of my role. I'm not always the right mentor for someone. She was in accounting and she said, even as an accountant, I am not always the best one. She said, so a lot of times what I enjoy is if people will invite me to coffee and I will try to identify someone in the organization that would be the best mentor for them. She said, and I just don't have the capacity to take everyone on. And I feel bad about that. So when people just come to me directly and say, well, you mentor me, puts me in a really awkward situation. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there that like, it's everyone is not, just because someone is a leader, just because I am a leader by title, because we're all leaders, does not mean I'm the right person to mentor someone. Um, but I can definitely help find you the right mentor. I think it's, um, I love that. And I think it's also important to understand that 
um, requesting someone as a mentor does not mean that they're obligated to be <laughs> your mentor. So understanding that, um, you know, even though maybe they aren't, don't have the capacity or can't serve in that way, um, does not mean it's a slight against you or personal, um, but connecting with someone else is also really, really great and when that can happen. So I appreciate that. Um, Kobana, and um, I really hope I said that correctly this time, but do you want to um, unmute and ask your follow-up question? Sure. Again, it's Kwabana. Kwabana, I am so, so sorry. I apologize. We'll, we'll get it together uh, <laughs> as a unit. Uh, so my follow-up question is, and I like the way that Rachel uh, talked to, used the phrase, the junior person. So um, was it, is it Rachel? I think I might have missed your name up. I'm sorry. But as, as she stated, <clears throat> with the psychological safety and creating uh, psychological safety between within the work environment, what can the junior person do to help guide the senior person to a psychologically safe space or psychological safety within the relationship when the leader doesn't necessarily understand um, the difference of uh, or, or doesn't understand their role in it in, a, in, a, in the first place and, and is really under the more traditional uh, ideals of leadership where you lead by title as opposed to relationships. Yeah, that's a great question, Kwabana. Thanks. And I, and I think um, one of the things that's happening uh, kind of parallel to the continued evolution of DNI work is that there's also an evolution of what leadership and, and management looks like. Um, I think that's evolving as well. And, and this is one of the ways in which it's evolving. That's a hard question to answer. I think it's pretty contextual. I think it kind of depends on the leader and, and figuring out what kinds of things matter to that leader. Um, but but it's tricky because I think leaders oftentimes don't realize the, the impact of their power. They, they don't see their power. Um, um, if, if I'm the leader, when I'm together with my team, it probably feels pretty safe to me. And it's easy for me to assume that it feels the same way to everyone else, but it doesn't because they don't have the same title. They don't have the same power that I do. And so it, it's tricky on how to help people see that. Um, as I said, I think it kind of depends on getting to know that leader and figuring out what kinds of things they care about. What are their, what are their hot buttons? What are their key issues? Um, do they care about healthy decision-making? Do they care about innovation? Do they care about inclusion? Because I think you can, you can bring up the importance of psychological safety to all of those different issues. Um, sometimes um, leaders need to hear the stories of other people. They need to hear the emotions of other people. They need to be made aware of the fact that it feels differently for me in this conversation than it does for you because um, there's some real or perceived consequences because you have more power than I do. Um, so sloppy, vague, rambling answer, but I, I think it kind of depends on that individual leader getting to know them and figuring out what kinds of things that they care about. I think if you figure that out, you can figure out a way to make the case for psychological safety to them. I think it's also really important, and I'm a realist, um, Joan Courtney will tell you this, sometimes a leader is not going to be open to it. So there's a few things with this. One, Leaders are human and they're on their own, they're on their own journey as well. I want to honor that. Like one thing I think is very unfair is that people 
do they have the responsibility to lean into this and, and care? There's a response, yes. Um, but to expect that a leader has arrived and that a leader has the, all the answers and it's like, why, aren't, why don't you already have a psychologically safe team? Leaders are human, okay? But I'm just gonna say that some leaders do not plan on getting on board. And Joe has helped me before um, in a situation where I had to, I'm, I, I ended up in therapy, okay? This team put me in therapy. Um, it was the best thing. It was my first introduction to therapy. It was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Um, and that's how much psychological safety was lacking. So I had to make a conscious decision that my mental health is more important than trying to save this team or this organization. Mm -hmm. And I have to go. <laughs> like That is just the fact as well. So don't get too, like, there's a line. I'm not going to say don't try, but know when all roads into a dead end and when you need to put yourself on another path. Um, because if not, you will, you'll either, you're going to lose yourself either because you just become complacent. I've seen that too, where people are like, I just need to go along and get along and be quiet. Or you're going to lose yourself because you're just going to be fighting it emotionally um, spent. Um, but don't lose yourself. Know when you, it's time to exit and leave a team and or an organization. Thank you for saying that. I think that's an important part of the conversation as well. And I think one of the ways you evaluate the organization that you're part of is, are they willing and able to hold leaders accountable for psychological safety? Because what we're talking about, again, is being able to tell the truth to each other. Are they willing and able to tolerate leaders who don't believe in that? Or are they willing to hold folks accountable to that? That's kind of an important, um, an important metric, I think, for making decisions about where to spend your time and where not to spend your time. Yep. Thank you so much for your insights. Both of you, did, I appreciate both of them. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Yes, yes. And we do have another question and I'm going to definitely spotlight and open up, but um, we're kind of on the same wavelength. So I do want to ask before I'm bringing this question to the light, um, what in your opinions is the difference between mentorship and sponsorship? I feel like um, sometimes those two terms could be conflated, but I think they're different. So could you guys provide a little bit of information on that? Thank so for me, you, Shay. <laughs> so for me, mentorship, they're the people that like with Joe, I can be my, he knows the ugliest sides of me. Um, and then he helps me clean it up, right? Like they're the people that you have to be able to tell the whole truth. And then you also have to be able to receive feedback. Like Joe can tell me really tough stuff. And I'm going to be like, that was the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Because the trust is there. So I know he has my best interest at heart. To me, a mentor can be a sponsor as well, but sometimes sponsors can't be mentors. So I know that Joe is saying my name in rooms and he doesn't even have to call me and tell me that he just said my name. Same the other way around. I don't know how many times just yesterday somebody reached out to me about something and I said, I would like to introduce you to Joe Burstead. I am willing to sponsor him and he's willing to sponsor me. I like to tell people always be sponsor ready because you do not know when someone is going to say your name in a room. And oftentimes people, um, this is what I do want to encourage people there. They often say, well, I don't have anybody with sponsors. You may never know. So always be ready. 
always have a positive attitude, always be willing to help on a project, always be willing to go over and beyond because you don't know who's watching and you don't know who's going to say your name. So to the question about is it formalized? Not always. Um, there's people that I know that spot and I just have a I just have a belief because of the way that I've chosen to live my life that if I continue to put out good in the world, good is going to come back to me and people are going to say my name even if they never call me. And the same can happen for you. You just always have to be sponsor ready. Hopefully that have anything, Joe. She nailed it. You nailed it. Bingo. Awesome. Well, thank you for that question. And um, I'm going to want to just ask really quickly. Um, I know we have another question that just popped in the chat, but um, we've been talking a lot about um, mentorship and relationship building and psychological safety. Um, but I think one thing that um, I'm curious to understand a little bit better is um, I understand that in the DEI space, um, sometimes um, practitioners can be a little bit hesitant to pass information along, you know, move information forward. But I know that both you, Shaylin and Joe, are so willing to share and teach in this space. Why is that so important or why are you so open to um, that um, approach? Um, and, 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 you know, kind of teaching to empower or to build up other practitioners that are entering this space. Um, I'll jump in on that, I guess. I, I think there's a few things that come to mind. Uh, first of all, there's just so much of this work to be done. Um, there's so much work to be done. We still have so much work in front of us. I don't think we can afford to not be in solidarity with each other. Um, to support each other, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to share our experiences and our tools and our resources. Um, there's a lot of new people in this field. We're still outnumbered. There's so much work to be done. Um, I also think for me personally, there's been no shortage of people that have supported me and shared things with me along the way. Um, I, I, I have to try to do the same thing. I have to try to give back to this work as much as it's given to me. And I also think it's true to the philosophy of what this work is about. I, I'm, I'm sure there are some people that get involved in this work just as a way to make money. I think that's true of every field, but I think most people that come into this work believe in the ideals that are at the heart of this work. And I think supporting each other, encouraging each other, sharing tools and resources, I think that's, I think it's true to what this, what this work is about. It seems, it just seems to be kind of obvious to me. I've also learned from people like Joe and other mentors in my life that uh, a lot of times when people hire you, especially for like presentations and stuff, they're hiring you, your personality. And like, I know I'm not a fit for everybody, right? Um, some, many places, Joe is a good person to send because of the privilege that he does have, right? Um, so I think that that's something to remember too, that like, you're not for everyone. It's, it's very similar to relationships. Like I'm not for everyone. And as long as we can have a mutual respect for each other, I hope you find a really good consultant and I want to help you find a really good consultant. So let me introduce you to my friend. You know what I mean? Like, um, and we can't be um, um, like the, the doers of everything. There are some, if you want to know about unconscious bias, if you want to know about psychological safety, you hire Joe Gerstein, period. That is my take. When someone reached out to me this week saying, I need an unconscious bias training, I said, I know somebody for you. 
And then there's things that I'm very strong in and that's okay. Um, so I just think just be encouraged and know that you can't be a jack of all trades, but you know, you can be, but it's really important in this work to be a master of one or two or three of them. Um, and there's nothing you can't Google. It always cracks me up when people are like, I don't want to share that. If people really wanted to Google this stuff, it's out there. So like, why not just be kind? Um, because it's the nature of our work. If you want to see people be better, you have to share information. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. Um, I spent a good portion of my career in sales and my approach was to always be a resource first, you know, um, because generally that builds that trust that, um, you know, trusted advisor type relationship. And like you said, you put good karma out there, you, you put good energy out there, it comes back to you. So um, I love that. Um, well, let's take one more question and then um, <clears throat> we'll, you know, do any closing remarks. Um, so Anam, do you want to um, unmute and ask your question or do you want me to read it? Yeah, sure. Um, so my question is, and our remarks on uh, psychological safety at the start of the conversation really resonated with me. So my question is, what advice do you have for some individuals who might feel like uh, they don't want to resort to leaving a, their organization and maybe they're in a situation where they're not feeling uh, they have psychological safety, yet their direct leadership uh, doesn't want to cause trouble with senior leadership. In that scenario, what advice do you give or would you suggest for that individual? Thank you. Um, uh, I think we spoke a little bit to that earlier. I think it kind of depends on uh, understanding what matters to that leader. The leader that you're trying to influence, understanding what matters to them and using that as a way to make the case for psychological safety. But I, I would also say there's also a problem with a leader that doesn't want to make trouble. Um, leadership is about making trouble. Um, it's about making the right kind of trouble, but it's about challenge. It, if, if leadership is going to be a value to the people below it, it is going to be about challenging the status quo and asking questions and pushing back on power. If you have leaders that are unwilling to do that, they're not leaders. They just have a title. Um, and, and they're, they're, they're kind of wasting that title. Um, so I, I, I know part of the question was you're in a situation where you don't want to leave the organization. Um, it seems to me like that person has a, in that organization has a lot of things going against them. They have a senior leader that's not interested in psychological safety. That's not interested in trust and telling the truth. And they have a leader between them and that person that's not willing to challenge that person. That's, that's a pretty big battle to fight. Um, both of those people have more power than you do and none of them seems to be on your side. So um, I, I, uh, I'm not saying you can't change that situation, but that person has a lot of things going against them. I, I'm kind of, because of my experiences, I'm a little tough when it comes to this because my question is why don't you wanna leave? I mean, right now, the like, and, and I'm not saying let leave be the first option. I am not saying that at all. But if you really feel you do not have the support, um, I, there's a lot of organizations out there that will embrace you with open arms. Um, and and Shayla, I can both speak from experience that if you have to go to work every day, pretending to be someone that you're not, truncating your identity, biting your lip, 
That's an exhausting way to live. That's an exhausting way to spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours of your life every week. And I can tell you on the reverse, how good it feels. So like my current role, for example, um, I had an opportunity to leave. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I know how good it feels to be loved and welcomed and embraced Mm -hmm. and valued and goodness, like respected and loved. I mean, even in my current situation, you know, I have a four-year-old, a nine-month-old. My kids have COVID. Uh, Yeah, they have COVID. I have COVID. To see my leader, the leader text me and say, what do you need? What do you need? Like, we are here for you. We're, we're in charge of a city, y'all, like the city. There, there's a lot of people that need a lot of things, but because they know my child's health history and nine months old, and there's a lot of things that he could have been doing, but he was texting me. Mm. I'm not going anywhere. Um, that's what you deserve. So if you feel like you've spun Absolutely. your wheels and that person really isn't supporting you, why are you saying it's my question to you um respected and loved and valued everyone is deserving of that absolutely and loved and that actually goes here I have to do it I have to do it because I need people to know like we're really serious about this um before we go I just have to share one of the most important moments in my and Joe's relationship and I need I feel everyone deserves this um he said Shay may I ask you a favor I said of course be as kind to yourself as you are to others. Be as open and receptive and non-judgmental to yourself as you are to others. See and welcome the face of God in yourself as you do with others. You are the only human expert on Shay. What others think of you is not about you and none of your business. Accept, acknowledge, and revel in your fierceness. This work needs you. It needs all of you. Be on your own side, please. I love you and I believe in you with my whole heart. Be free and let your light shine on everything. Joe sent me that in... 2018 I want to say um and it is the only screenshot that makes it to every phone that I have um because we all need to be reminded of that and we all need a Joe and we all need to revel in our own fierceness we all need to know that we're loved and we believe that people are on our side um and so if you don't have a Joe in your life get one because there's a lot out there I would say I'll share mine but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but two, but um, if you don't feel this in your organization, if you don't feel somebody cares about you this way, invite a few coffees. And then after that, go find, go find it for yourself. Life is too short to stay somewhere unhappy. Wow, that was so powerful. I'm so glad you you shared that towards the end, Shaylin. I think it's a great, great way to wrap up our hour together. Um, I do want to offer the opportunity for any closing remarks as we come into our final minute of the show. (coughs) The gem droppers that we want to leave the audience with. Please put that in the chat. Be good to yourselves and be good to each other. It says, did you mean put Joe's text message to me? If Joe's okay with it, I'll send it to Courtney now. He's a good parent in the in the um, afterwards I don't know maybe I don't know but screenshot yeah. it I don't know it helps me I'm, you can change my name take Shay out of it and just put your name in there <laughs> yes I think we all can use that affirmation and um on them put in the chat hashtag find your Joe so that is that is the mission for this Friday um thank you all so much for joining we 
really, really appreciate our um, intentional conversations community. And we are so grateful to have had both you, Shaylin and Joe on to just share and encourage today. We hope you all have a great Friday. Bye.